Welcome to the CB on Air Partners in Focus series. My name is Yasha Popovic and I'm Associate Editor at Central Banking. The effect of real shocks to supply chains two years ago is still being felt today. How central banks responded at the time has contributed to the shift away from the low interest rate, low inflation environment to this new era we find ourselves in. Now, war and geopolitical tensions are adding to inflationary pressure and uncertainty. Today, I'm joined by Maria Georgievich, Director for Private Market Research at BlackRock, to talk about the macro elements shaping global markets. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. In your view, what are the key macro forces shaping markets? So the great moderation from the mid-1980s until 2019, before the COVID-19 pandemic struck, was a remarkable period of stability of both growth and inflation. We were in a demand-driven economy with steadily growing supply. And excess borrowing could result in economy overheating, while episodes of a slowdown in spending could drive recessions. And in such a setting, central banks could mitigate both by either raising or cutting rates. And that period has ended in our view. Policymakers now face a much starker trade-off. First, production constraints stemming from a massive shift in spending and labor shortages are hampering the economy and driving inflation. Second, record debt levels mean small changing in interest rates have an outsized impact on governments, households, and companies. So the world is now shaped by a persistent inflationary environment. The US core PC inflation has been running at an annualized pace of over 4% for most of the year, pointing to a sizable imbalance between the level of demand and what the economy can comfortably produce. So there are three structural trends constraining the global supply in our view. The first, there is a key bottleneck in labor supply. Rather than supply chain disruptions, in our view, the pandemic triggered a massive sectoral reallocation that has yet to normalize. It has created labor supply constraints, most obviously in the fact that U.S. labor force participation remains far short of its pre-pandemic rate. Many people are hesitant to go back to work or are taking longer to find a job in a new sector, and we don't expect this to normalize anytime soon. The second structural element at play is the net zero transition. So the transition is essentially handoff from carbon emitting production methods to zero carbon ones. So this handoff can be rough. Carbon intensive production can fall faster than lower carbon alternatives are phased in. The result It's periods of supply shortages and high prices for the carbon intensive outputs the economy still needs. So we see these imbalances helping drive macro volatility and persistent inflation in years to come. But the alternative, a disorderly transition would be much worse. There would be more vulnerability to extreme weather events and a continued reliance on fossil fuels, meaning even more exposure to geopolitical risk. 
And finally, the rewiring of globalization and changing demographics will likely reverse the long-term trend of this inflation stemming from lower global production and labor costs. So these constraints have been exacerbated by the Ukraine war's energy and food price shocks and are driving today's inflation. The war in Ukraine is accelerating geopolitical fragmentation. Think of ongoing sanctions on Russia, the push for energy security and effort to diversify supply chains. The war is driving the emergence of blocks, and we're also observing the US-China tensions increasing. All this implies that policy trade-offs are now much harder. Central banks are forced to choose between favoring growth over inflation and vice versa. So this may result in shortening of the economic cycles and investors asking for higher risk premium. What have you observed in the movement of key asset classes? Well, it's not only the macro volatility that is affecting the fundamentals and cash flow stability of stocks and bonds and thus suppressing their market prices simultaneously. If you think about it during the period of great moderation, when recession pushes down stocks, monetary authorities would cut interest rates to boost the economy and then lower interest rates would then push up the bond prices. But that's not happening now, and bonds and stocks are depreciating in accord. The main culprit is inflation. Inflation rates elevated at this level, the worst in the last four decades, are threatening to fortify high inflation expectations and push the economies further down the price-wage spiral. So instead of reducing the interest rates, central banks are raising them, to slow the economies and dampen the aggregate demand. So with rising interest rates, the cost of capital and discount rates are increasing, which puts pressure on valuations and adversely affects both stocks and bond prices. So with stocks and bonds moving simultaneously, a traditional 60-40 portfolio split between stocks and bonds, hedges, and risk models based on historical relationships won't work anymore, we think. Historical negative correlations between stocks and bonds existed during the flight to safety episodes. Rising stock market volatility would turn the investors against stocks and rebalance portfolios in favor of bonds. But we're now going through the episode of stagflation with rising inflation and distressed growth that are both working against the stock and bond market prices, leading to positive correlations between the two asset classes. So this development in the market dealt a large blow to traditional portfolios that relied on the bonds providing a hedging portfolio protection against any sharp drops in stock prices. Investors are now in a pursuit for other asset classes that offer favorable yields and low correlation with liquid equity that normally constitutes the largest segment of their portfolios. Adapting to this new regime most probably includes ramping up positions in inflation-linked bonds and private assets. So we're witnessing this transition from the traditional 60-40 split to an almost equally balanced allocation between stocks, bonds, and alternative investments for some time already. So research from the last year shows that going into 2022, institutional investors, most notably pension funds and sovereign wealth funds, are expected to increase their target allocations to alternatives to close to 30% 
of their total asset under management primarily because of the reliable income stream and diversification benefits of this asset class. So private market valuations are not immune in this new regime of higher volatility, but the fluctuations in market prices are much less pronounced relative to the public equity market. There is an ample capital still waiting to be deployed that is also available as a financing option that could potentially help companies with fresh capital during the high interest rate episode. Allocations in private markets should on average be higher than what we typically see in institutional portfolios in our view at the moment. But we also have to say that selectivity is more important than ever. The ability to pick top performing managers will be more important than ever in our view and only investors equipped with granular private market and portfolio see-through data will be able to, to do so. And with this evolving investment opportunity universe, once considered a nice to have the ability to support public and private assets on a single portfolio and risk management platform is becoming a must have in our view. A higher volatility regime and shortened economic cycles induced by anti-inflationary measures mean even strategic allocations will likely have to be more dynamic than before. Investment policy statements are expected to be up updated more often than before, and portfolio rebalancing exercises are expected to assume higher cadence. What do you hear from your clients? So, you know, following the major adverse shock that affected the public market in the first quarter of 2020, we asked our technology clients, what was the single most important prerequisite for timely and adequate portfolio rebalancing process? And while a stable 20% of respondents recognize the necessity of sophisticated valuation models and robust capital market assumptions to assess the attractiveness of the rapidly changing investment opportunity set. The most acute pain points differed across different types of investors. So institutional investors such as pension funds and insurance companies, they singled out the availability of a single platform to understand the portfolio exposures across different asset classes. On the other hand, the wealth investors, such as family offices or high net worth individuals, stress the importance of greater transparency and frequency of reported performance information. So that's why we decided to fill in the gap and give our clients a whole portfolio technology solution that enables them to manage both public and private asset classes simultaneously and to quantify the common factors among client portfolio exposures, project cash flows, and unify the risk metrics for both public and private markets. You know, this macroeconomic regime is not necessarily one for buying the dip, precisely because the cycle is not purely demand-driven. Policy will not quickly step in to stem sharp asset price declines. So we believe views should get more granular at the sector level below to drill down to financial characteristics of portfolio investments. So, for example, indebted companies may do well if their debt burden is alleviated by persistently higher inflation. And from the industry sector perspective, it becomes critical to understand the portfolio company's dependencies on the labor across the portfolios. And also companies operating in the financial sector may suffer less from the, from the interest rate tightening. 
What do you think is important to navigate all of this uncertainty? So, so this approach that I just re- described requires the, the access to rich and granular data sets that can support the adequate analysis at a time where there is less liquidity and more volatility, like, like the era we're in currently. It is not a, only about the volume of data, but consolidation of disparate sources represents a major challenge for our clients. The public markets are mature and exceedingly high levels of transparencies are achieved. However, as private markets have developed and grown in size, so too has the appetite for information been steadily catching up with, with public markets. So both investors are and fund managers are looking for actionable information that can often be hidden in unstructured data or require major time commitments to parse through, like financial documents. And this can undermine the efficiency and scalability of these operations and create the demand for solutions that automate information extraction process. So the technology that leverages natural language processing that supports the automation of the information gathering process is vital to solve this problem for our clients. So to conclude, we're in a world shaped by supply like any we have seen in recent decades. Major spending shifts and production constraints are the driving force of inflation rather than excessive demand. Those constraints find their roots in the pandemic and are worsened after Russia's invasion of Ukraine and China's lockdowns to combat COVID-19. Think of how the war caused the commodity prices spike and increased inflation. So we may be living with inflation higher than previously defined targets. When the macro environment is shaped by production constraints, the Fed and other central banks can't avoid volatility. So investors will have to adapt to this new regime that will mostly likely force them to make both strategic and tactical portfolio rebalancing more often than before. And this new approach will require adequate technological, analytical and data support to, that enables them to have a 360 view over their exposures and performance drivers as well as an integrated risk management system that assesses the economic risk of the whole portfolio. Thank you, Maria, and thank you for listening.